Hey everyone, Wampler here to tell you once again about the good folks at Lumi Labs who are championing a little thing called microdosing. That's right, we're talking about taking a THC gummy throughout the day that will keep you mellow but not so impaired that you can't, say, uh, host a podcast. These <laughs> Lumi gummies have been a godsend for both me and Vespi. He's got trouble sleeping and Lumi Labs gummies uh, have been a big help towards getting him to sleep at a reasonable hour. And on my end, well, I just enjoy the pleasant sensation of being a wee bit baked at any hour of the day. So they're perfect for me, too. Mostly, though, Lumi Labs gummies are aimed at helping you to relax and they work. The best part is Lumi's THC gummies are available nationwide and aren't affected by your state's marijuana laws because they use a synthetic THC strain, D9. That's right, Texas. You can get them delivered straight to your door. And we have... To learn more about microdosing, go to microdose.com. And if you like what you see, you can use the code KINGCAST. Save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. Again, that's microdose.com with the code KINGCAST. Nice. Very well done, Scott. That leaves the Fangoria corporate overlord business to me this week. This classic magazine has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. Not only is Fangoria highly collectible, if you get yourself an annual subscription, it comes right to your door four times a year, and each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking, past, present, and future, with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including your intrepid KingCast hosts. I have a piece in this upcoming issue all about Frank Darabont and Stephen King, so keep an eye out for that one. This high-quality writing, and I say that because it is my high-quality writing, obviously, will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, you will need to subscribe. To do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, you can enter in the promo code KINGCAST at checkout to save a whopping 25% off your entire order. Now, with all of that said, let's get on with the show. Hi, my name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Red rum! 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 Red Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. And we, as always, are your hosts. We need plurals on that. Hosts. hosts. Yes, there's two of us. There, There is more than one of us. Today we have a returning favorite for you. He is the creator of F-Boy Island, rest in peace, a writer and producer on Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass and the Midnight Club, and the owner of the best head of hair you've seen with your own two eyes. He currently has a back in the groove on Hulu, and now he's back on the show to take a look at Stephen King's super fun short story, Battleground. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Alon Gale back to the KingCast stage. Welcome back, Alon. It's an honor just to be here again with you all fine folk. Well, I think... I think we, winter day. I think we told you when you came on for the uh, anniversary episode that yeah, your your night flyer episode was one of our most popular episodes this year. Mm-hmm. I think um, we're all equally surprised by that. Well, I was surprised in the sense that the night flyer isn't particularly well loved. You know, that's <laughs> that's one that we've gone to bat for before, and then people yell at us in the uh, on Twitter for. For like for propping up Nightflyer. Sorry, we're not going to stop. It's it's good. Vampire shit. peeing blood is <laughs> its own genre, and it's right. all I, I still think about it all the time. Imagine being foolish enough to argue in the face of that genre. 
to say, no, I don't want this. It's, it's, it's disgusting. We'll have don't no look part. a gift horse in the mouth. Certainly so we, not. Yes. And we wanted to get you back in before the end of the year for a, for a proper episode. And we're glad we did it just under the wire. Uh, and I'm particularly excited to, ex- uh, you know, discuss this story with you. This is another, well, you, you have a knack for picking King stories, by the way, that are like surprisingly, that have surprisingly good adaptations that nobody ever talks about. So that's, that's always a good red meat for us. So we, I want to say thank you on behalf of your hosts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's also incredibly as a, as far as stories go, it's incredibly short. Um, which I like a lot. And it's the kind of thing that you would assign someone who you're not that confident can read. Um, (laughs) And, um, you know, I I think that that, that's apt here. Well, but we'll, I did read all of it. I read every every word. Did you some, read it backwards? Some of them though? a couple times. I didn't read it backwards. Um, you know, but I I contemplated. I meditated, mm-hmm. and then I watched the uh, roughly hour long, wordless but scream filled adaptation, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. It's not a long enough story to warrant necessarily an hour, but boy, they found a way. They did. <laughs> They they had to uh, pad out the story a little bit. It um, yeah, it's got like an extra basically act te- tacked onto it toward the end. But um, yeah, otherwise it's a, it's and pretty. The, yeah, the entire that's true. That's true. first first quarter is all just you know basically two sentences in the story. Yeah, um, but as always, I have some particular observances. Uh, observations is an even better yes. way of saying that. That well, I think will maybe you know really send us all thinking in new ways into the future. Mm. It sounds exciting, and I'm looking forward to it. But before we get to that, um, let's take a moment to uh, to catch up. What have you been doing lately? You got this new show. Tell us about that. A new show called uh, Back in the Groove on Hulu. All episodes streaming now. It's about uh, a couple of uh, women in their forties who uh, are stuck in some kind of rut, as yes. I think we all are most of the time. Um, and they, they, they explore a, a place called the Groove Hotel mm-hmm. in the Dominican Republic. Uh, and the hotel itself is, uh, it has an amenity, which is 24 hot shirtless men, primarily in their 20s, some in their early 30s. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they, they date them. But it, it primarily the idea is for them to kind of just explore their own interests. Uh, it's not a traditional dating show in that the goal of forever love isn't really there. Obviously, it's possible. But the idea is just for these women to have a great time and to feel youthful and exuberant and to not let age be a detractor from the kinds of both uh, serious self-exploration Mm-hmm. And the fun of frivolity that is often wasted on the youth. Yes. And as I feel myself aging more and more, uh, the more I personally feel like I could use a little extra dose of frivolity. Also, mm. isn't one of the guys there the son of one of the ladies? It, that is true. One of the men in the hotel there to date all the women is secretly the son of one of the women. And they came together. <laughs> and uh, yeah. It goes better than it you think it will, um, but worse also. 
So I'm, it just depends on your point of view. I'm surprised you didn't include this little fact in your description of the show because it would seem to be the like one of the more compelling hooks, no? You know, I'm a purist and <laughs> I think that people need to discover the twists and turns we have for them uh, on their own in a spoiler-free environment. Oh, um, I, I is, didn't realize I was doing spoilers. I no, it's not was... really. A, it's no. It's, it's, oh, it's okay. at the end of in the at the end of episode one, and by now on every social media post. It's sure. There. So it's, but it's uh, it's the kind of thing that I think people would expect to have a, a severe layer of cringiness to it, <laughs> but surprisingly, punishing. It's actually really heartfelt. And uh, I've been really alarmed by how much people seem to love this show. Um, you know, usually there's a nice blend of people who love watching these shows and people who love hating watching these shows. Mm-hmm. But this seems to be a, a really love watching the show kind of show, which makes me really happy, too, because we got nice. to you know, tell different stories. You know, usually on dating shows, the people are, you know, in their early to mid to late twenties, and as a result, have lived through a you know less uh, less interesting experiences. Not always, yeah. but often than people who have just been alive another decade or two. Right, um, and that just lets you tell new kinds of stories without losing the fun of what dating is, which is trying to sit across from someone and connect, which is a bizarre uh, hill to climb. And I think mm-hmm. we assume. That it should go well, but I don't know, like the idea of just meeting someone from an entirely different place and walk of life and then here with a 10 to 20 year age gap and then to expect the conversation to just flow smoothly. You know, that doesn't always happen here. And that's actually quite fun. Did you prepare for the possible eventuality that the son and the mother who go to this uh, what do you say? The Groove Hotel? The Groove Hotel. The Groove Hotel, yes. Um, what if they got to the end of the season and decided, you know what? All we need is each other, baby. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, if that is how it ends up, that's kind of sweet. I like the idea. <laughs> I think technically you know, not it's illegal. In, not, um, no, not in a romantic. I didn't think you meant in a romantic sense. <laughs> oh, no. I that's, specifically meant in a oh, romantic Oh, no, no. That, that's yeah, very that's norm, Norman and Norma Bates of you. Yes. No, no, that's horrifying. But well, aren't you? I think well, the idea that you that you already have the people in your life that you need to make you happy. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually a unexpected ending for. A I think that's show. that's too that's too sweet for this kind of thing. It needs to be more fucked up than that. <laughs> You're um, going to be surprised. I go real sweet here. I go real sweet. Fair enough. Um, yeah. I but, have it in me. I'm not all f boys and um, and f girls. I got uh, I got a heart deep down in there somewhere. You got an what would you do though? Like, <laughs> like I was, I, I was joking about this, but you know, when you're running a reality show like that, yeah, um, having encountered people in real life before, as we all have, I know that people can be fucking, you know, lunatics and yeah. do things that are entirely unpredictable. You know, uh, what sort of measures do you have in place where, like, let's say something like that were to happen? And you saw it <laughs> happening in slow motion. And you're like, wait a fucking minute. Like, is have we orchestrated the 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 single greatest payon to to incest that has ever existed? Like, there must be something in place to prevent against those sort of unpredictab- uh, unpredictabilities, right? 
I mean, there's degrees. And I think that what you're talking about is a degree that the, you know, there's always an airplane uh, that all of us can get on and leave. And I think that's, <laughs> I think that's, you know, there's, there's, there are things that you can allow and, and, uh, and be okay with. But I think if it were to ever go to a place where we felt like it was morally reprehensible to the place of illegality, um, yeah. you know, there's a, uh, we got suitcases and we got uh, airplane <laughs> tickets and we're getting the fuck out of there. First things first. Would you, know? or would you just send those contestants home and then you get new no, people no, and start no, reshooting? I would, I would, I would, I would come home <laughs> and I would call my therapist <laughs> and I would say, we're going to need a double session um, <laughs> yeah. every, I think you're every six hours. I'm going to be a get... farmer now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I just want a job that's normal. Maybe I'll be a podcast <laughs> host or something like that. That seems yeah, it's uh, nothing more normal calm. than a podcast host. Yeah, it seems um, calm. Uh, I, I think you're leaving a lot of gold like on the table here, my man. I'm just saying, can you picture this? We'll call it the Oedipus complex, right? Uh-huh. And the complex is an apartment complex. Oh my god! People, people who want to fuck their their opposite sex uh, parent. And do you, do you not think this would be the highest uh, rated uh, show of its type on any of the streaming I, I, networks? I, I don't think it's filmable. I don't think it's arable. Um, I think that. Someone would fucking do it. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a time and place for scripted content. And (laughs) I think that you really would need to put that into a, into a script and, and really make sure it's properly formatted. (laughs) My God. And then light it on fire (laughs) and toss it down your drain just in case anyone sees that you've, taken the time to commemorate these thoughts by by writing them down you know i think there's got to be there's got to be a limit mm-hmm. and uh i think you're uh you're up against it my friend well i'm gonna tell you something i, I heard everything you just said and uh-huh. i understand it to be i understand it on you know an analytical level you're you're probably right but also the edible the edible complex is just a great gag name for a show you can't deny that <laughs> No, it's a great. In fact, I'd go so far as to say a scripted show where someone was trying to make this horrifying idea would be quite quite funny. But the minute anyone treated it with any sense of reality, (laughs) I think that the majority of us would start and never stop throwing up. Yeah, there would be some recoiling from the crowd. It's a very, it's surely. a very stand by me moment you've created. <laughs> I was thinking more here. of a sleepwalkers moment, but but <laughs> uh, but I, I do appreciate the nostalgia throwback for some reason. A few weeks after I heard about the uh, th- that little bit that little hook on uh, uh, your new show, Back in the Groove. Yeah, yes, I heard about another show that seems to be doing that, but a lot more. Do you know hmm. what I'm talking about? I, I think you're talking about. I saw a uh, an ad for something called Milf Manor. Is that yes, what you mean? yes, yes. Uh, how did you feel when you when you saw that version of what you're doing? You know, and I'm not saying they pilfered any ideas from you. The just production no, no, no. schedules would seem to have made that impossible. But um. You're you're doing what you say is kind of the sweet version of this. I have gathered from the promotional material I've seen for Milf Manor that that's playing a different ball game, perhaps. 
Um, what do you what do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I I try not to judge things before I get a chance to really see them. Sure. Um, I am very. Uh, here's what I'll say. I'm thrilled to be living in a timeline where the 30 rockification right. of unscripted television seems to have uh, really uh, climaxed. Um, we're, we're hitting, <laughs> Great we're word, hitting the peak. Thank you. We're hitting the peak. And I'm curious to see whether we continue down this path or if there is a bit of a reset. Um, but I, I, more than anything, what I appreciate is kind of the fearless comedic nature of unscripted at the moment. Mm -hmm. I think there is a, I think we have lived through a period of, I don't know, um, taking, taking these shows a little too seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that they really should be entertainment. Uh, And I think that anyone who does something that's out of the box and takes a risk, I'm curious to see. I don't know if it's for me necessarily, um, but you know, I, I I love seeing something that makes people talk about the limitations of unscripted and mm. seeing where that can go. Because I think that there was a, a a little period where I felt like things were iteratively different constantly, and I I just like people taking big swings. You know, yeah. I I always say like the when you when you go out trying to make a new reality show, the only two acceptable responses, you know, from my perspective are, hey, this sounds great. Let's make it right away. And what are you crazy? Get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> like those are the two things I like to hear. Um, I think that, and I think that there was probably a couple of people um, that got the get the fuck out of my office, but someone took a risk. And I think sure. risk taking it doesn't always pay off, but it doesn't mean the risk wasn't worth taking. In 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 response to that, I have one more question, and then we're going to move on to the <laughs> yeah. Stephen King stuff. I promise the Please. listeners. Have you ever pitched a show that got you thrown out of an office? No. And if the answer I, is no, what's no. The, have you ever had an idea that was so crazy you couldn't implement it? Yes. Um, I have a show that I'm still trying to make, so I can't get too into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That is so bizarrely impossible feeling that it's less like get out of my office and more like um, you obviously don't have any idea what you're doing <laughs> and and you are a dumb, dumb, dumb man. And, um, and I respect that position sure. because it causes me to really figure out if I can do the things I want to do yeah. because that, that feedback of you are a raging idiot (laughs) may be right. And I want to give it time to breathe like Mm -hmm. a wine and see if it comes to pass, you know, (laughs) because I'd rather someone say that than me go out and try to make a show and get two weeks into it. And realize that I actually have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> right. And, you know, the imposter syndrome in this household runs hot, baby. <laughs> so when someone says, like, you're a fucking idiot and you don't know how to make television, I always take their point of view as fact first and then try to unravel it. 
<laughs> um, Fair know. enough. In the same way when someone invites me on a Stephen King podcast, mm. I think to myself, oh, I don't belong there. Uh, but then uh, but then here we are. But then the magic uh, happens, baby. Are we making a third mistake or <laughs> will this be okay? <laughs> Only time will tell. Somehow one of us will fall in love with our mothers. Mm-hmm. By the end of this recording, this is the <laughs> I, hope, I, I hope so. In a, uh, I, I really hope it's in a, a platonic uh, way. Um, but listen, you know, you got to do you, gentlemen. <laughs> I am not here to be prescriptive in how you live your lives. Right. We don't want to. I'm a. I'm but a humble guest on this The King Cast. Speaking of which, you are here today to talk about Battleground, a title that we have only talked about on the show once before. But led to a number of conversations that came up again and again in other episodes because of something I claimed during that episode, which we'll, <laughs> we, we will get to later on in this episode. Um, but for anyone who missed that first Battleground episode, would you be willing to lay out the plot for us? Yes. Thank you. Um, yes. Uh, now, now, this is where you do that. Part mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Um, <laughs> and begin. Uh, there's, a, there's a gentleman... He is uh, clearly a hitman, and he mm. has a hitman name. You know the two two syllables. He goes with Renshaw, I believe. Mm-hmm. But you know, could have been Cramfield or Sheffield or sure. really anything. It would have been fine. And he Horsey. has just come back from killing the the owner of a toy company, and he's back in his beautiful penthouse. Uh, he seems to do quite well. So he's making a tremendous amount of money um, doing all of this murdering. And mm-hmm. uh, a box appears at his door in one version and is handed to him by the front desk in another version. But a box ends up in his possession. And it seems to have come from uh, some relationship, probably the mother of the person he just killed. Uh, and he opens up this package very carefully, and inside there is a kind of a footlocker filled with those little green army men and all the paraphernalia that usually accompany them. And he's curious as to what's going on, and then they basically come to life and begin attacking him. And he gets into a giant David versus Goliath war with these tiny gentlemen mm-hmm. and um, it's savage. And in the, you know, in, in the, in the story it's, it's savage, but relatively quick in the adaptation. It is a, it's a, it's a, it's a war film. It's an hour of uh, retreating and then coming up with new plans. And you can actually, they, they really humanize the tiny little green fellows and uh, it all ends with, uh, as most most things do, a thermonuclear explosion um, that kills him, but seems to not bother anyone else meaningfully, which is nice because uh, he kind of gets his 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 ending without affecting too much. Which is again a little bizarre in the adaptation because this building is being fucking blown to bits and. No one yeah. seems to notice, um, <laughs> which is uh, which takes me to a theory I have, but I'll. Ooh. we can get into that into that later. 
Well, I think you've uh, done it. That, that's that's battleground more or less. Have I, yeah. have I nailed it? Did I fucking nail it? You, you fucking, fucking nailed, nailed it. Nailed clearly. It. So we can go right to that theory. Okay, so in the adaptation, uh-huh. uh, he comes, we watch him commit the murder. This doesn't happen in the story. He, uh, you know, he just kind of has already done it in the story. He He commits the murder. We watch it. He's very good at his job. He's got all kinds of little tricks. He's clever. But he seems haunted. He never speaks. No one speaks in the adaptation. There are no yes. lines. There is some screaming, but there are no lines, which is a fun little little thing. In the adaptation, he keeps tiny little trinkets from yes. all of his murders, um, which is like really, for a guy who seems good at his job, seems remarkably fucking stupid, if I'm being totally honest. The <laughs> right. idea of having a case in which a little item from every murder is displayed, lest someone come over and wonder where those things are from. But he does seem like a lonely fellow. doesn't seem like he has many friends, so maybe not too many visitors. It does seem like he's creating an evidence museum for the police, though. <laughs> exactly. Um, and when the mystery box arrives, before he opens it in the adaptation. And again, I have to say that this is only available in very low resolution. <laughs> so my entire theory may fall apart. But he, as he's about to open the box, he reaches into a bowl and he eats a nut. Mm. Now, he's been gone for a while, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. And these nuts are out on the counter. I know where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. And and as he opens the box, he eats another nut. The nuts have been out. I'm he he seems like a good planter generally, but these nuts could have gone bad. Mm. And I believe that the nuts are rotten, and he's having delusions. And this is a cautionary tale about nut poisoning. <laughs> See, I thought you were going to say they'd been dosed with a hallucinogenic or something. No, no. I think it's natural. I think this is about food safety. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, Let's give your heads up. And I and I think that this was I think this was thought of because in the in the story, when the little green men ask him to surrender, his response is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> My God. You didn't see that that little Peel. twist. I really did not. See, I cannot believe I didn't see that coming. In the adaptation, <laughs> he says, "Screw you." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in the book, he writes nuts. So I'm thinking that as this adaptation was coming together, they were looking for justification for this little tiny plastic adult Toy Story war, and they also maybe maybe the maybe the director, the writer, the the people had some kind of personal history with delusions from food poisoning or nut poisoning more specifically mm. and wanted to tell a cautionary tale because most people aren't, you know, killers. So you can't learn too many moral lessons from there, but don't leave perishables out, especially in Miami. That's mm-hmm. something that we can all learn from. Mm. Now, were you aware that nuts being sent as the response to the little green army man? is the same response given by General Anthony McAuliffe to the Germans during the Battle of the Bulge when they requested a surrender from American troops. No, I didn't know that. Is that true? Yes. And oh, so well, and I know that because well, I'm reading it. So you think this is a long con. You think that you think that since World War II there's been this 
uh, nut poisoning issue that people have been trying to resolve. It's possible that the general has been canceled in some way and they didn't <laughs> want to involve themselves with that during the making of this show. It seems unlikely. I don't know what to think, but I'm curious how that little factoid affects your theory, if at all. Well, no, I, I still think that that basically someone I think had nuts I on the mind, right? I, <laughs> don't we all? Yeah, you got I, nuts on the mind, and sometimes you're it's all you can come think up. about. Yeah, I mean, who would dose this guy? You know, they don't know he's a killer. He's dealing with his own, I'd say, some probably some guilt. He probably feels bad. He's at this big, beautiful apartment. He's mm-hmm. very alone. I think that I think that maybe he's going through a bit of an existential crisis. Um, you it's know, just- he's performing surgery on himself in the dark. He doesn't turn the lights on. He's got a rubber ducky uh, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in the adaptation that feels like a cry for help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a sound theory, and I think you cracked this one wide open. Once cracked. Again. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> play on words there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Crack that nut wide open. I think you know, and, and all you know, over he, our faces. <laughs> Wait, yeah. yeah, it's this it's is a, a family nice show. End. It's a happy ending for everyone. Um, <laughs> he has interesting, um, you know, he has interesting warfare tactics throughout. Yes, he has a machine gun and he shoots down at the tiny soldiers. Uh-huh. He never crouches to their level. To, to shoot them more directly. and right. But again, he's blowing the ever-loving shit out of his apartment. Mm-hmm. And you'd think there'd be at least, you know, if if my neighbors uh, play loud music, you know, <laughs> I, I at least will give them a, a, a gentle cough after mm-hmm. 11 p.m. But this is like an all-night war going on. You know, he has a... At some point, he finds a, some roach spray and one of those little candle lighters and essentially mm-hmm. starts using it as a flamethrower mm-hmm. and it gets too cocky, puts the flamethrower down and starts cutting up the soldiers with, with knives, which is really, again, like he's descending into <laughs> madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's almost playing with the toys. And then the interesting thing is as he's getting towards what I think he thinks is the end of this war, he goes back to the tool to the box that they arrived in mm-hmm. and he reads the table of contents to make sure that what he has destroyed has been accurately reflected mm-hmm. which is a, a really an interesting thing to trust the accuracy of the table of contents <laughs> of a box a magic box of, no less of yeah like there's Nothing in the box makes sense, but he's assuming the table of contents does. Now, in the adaptation, on the back of the box, you see early on that it says bonus surprises on a sticker on the back Mm -hmm. of the box that he does not notice. And that's where once he feels as if he's done everything, he gets into a fight with one, the extra bonus commando. (laughs) The Rambo. Yeah. (laughs) Who's got a lot of feelings. Uh-huh. Um, and <laughs> he pent up animosity. Yeah, like he's got the thermonuclear weapon attached to him, and he's uh, ready to go. He seems, you know, it seems like at any point, though, just to say, if you're just trying to kill the guy, deploy the thermonuclear weapon. What are they going to do if he surrenders? What's the conversation if the goal is just, you know? The, they're not going to take him hostage. 
the goal is just death. And, and of course, it's clear that all of this was put in place mm. by the mother of the person that he killed yes. due to some some clever handwriting uh, yeah. that they can see. But um, that seems like a lot of work. I'd like to <laughs> point out another thing about the box that I am not a fan of. And this is a very big nitpick, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a G.I. Joe branded footlocker. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it says in the in the story. Uh, and, and I'm really specifically uh, aiming at the story here. Um, the G.I. Joes are described as like an inch to an inch and a half tall. That's not how big G.I. Joes are. And I feel like. How big are G.I. Joes? Like three, four inches. Okay. Oh, the, the original G.I. Joes were like uh, Hot Toys size, like six scale to That's a person. That's true. But the well, yeah. when was this story written? In the early 70s, that would have been, I think, the G.I. Joes then. Because the 80s yeah, the G.I. Joes are from the cartoons are the ones that you're thinking of that are like yeah. the Star, Star Wars yeah. toys yeah. size. Yeah. So either way, it's this is this is incorrect. And. Wouldn't it be interesting if they were that full size of like the original G.I. Joe's or even <laughs> the five inch ones? Wouldn't that make them more of a threat? Hmm. That would but make I think it. They're, they're trying to make it seem as if it's not a threat, right? Like, you right. don't, you don't hands. If you handed someone a bunch of, you know, foot tall guys with guns, <laughs> you might be a little bit, uh, yeah. you know, freaked out. That's small soldiers. Yeah. Well, you have you have wandered straight into the box fan of the <laughs> earlier conversation that we had on this show. We uh, the the last time we talked about this, which I think was in our first year, yeah, uh, was with uh, was early. Fred Raskin, editor, works with Quentin uh-huh. Tarantino and uh, James Gunn. I don't know if you know. Him. Great, I dude. know Fred. Yeah, oh, I know Fred great. very much. Everyone knows Fred. Fred's um, a great guy, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and my what I maintained on that show is I would not be scared of the little green army myth. Whether or not they had a nuclear weapon, I would not know that. I would I would just not be scared of them because the second I saw some little inch and a half tall green army men come to life, I'm tap dancing all over those motherfuckers. They're not going to have a chance to do anything. Well, I was pilloried for this opinion. People said I was <laughs> well, foolish I- and that I would be quickly overtaken by the one and a half inch uh, little green army men with their bullets that are the size of not like the the tip of a a guitar string. I I'm just, I'm not buying it as a, a serious threat. Were I to be encountered or, or where, well, where I do encounter it? Would you be threatened by this? Yes, I would be. Um, because I'm scared of everything. So that's, <laughs> I'm not really a good, like, I don't know if you've ever seen me. I'm, I'm five, seven. Um, sure. A little army man is taking me down without weaponry. Um, <laughs> they're also much more trained than I am. But I think that again, I don't want to go. T- I don't. I don't think it's. It's. I don't want to waste your time going into this well-worn territory. But I think that you might feel differently had you been nut poisoned. That's true. <laughs> true. And I think that's yeah. that's part of what what's what's missing here is that you know if you've had you know you may not have ever had hallucinations from food other than mushrooms. I'm assuming. But mm-hmm. have you ever eaten something? And felt that gurgling in your <laughs> stomach, you know that there's going to be a problem soon. Oh yes, right, many times. Now, ta- if you if you were in that state, 
if you were feeling this like incoming rush. If I had rush, food poisoning and I had to take if on If you this? had food poisoning. Oh, this is a new wrinkle. And then, and then <laughs> you're not tap dancing anywhere, my friend. You are trying to be very still because any movement could unleash the beast. If I had the food poisoning, I'm going to tell you what I'll do. And this is a, yeah. a classic <laughs> example of Wampler using his failings to his natural abilities. Mm, I'm going to use the projectile vomit and diarrhea to take these things mm-hmm. out. Now what? Storming around <laughs> I mean, the tent house, fully nude, coming out of both ends, just twirling around like a water wiggle until they're all gone. Now what? Well, they still have the thermonuclear device, <laughs> well, which, which, goes back, which goes back to the, the issue here, which is, listen, if I'm covered by your detritus, <laughs> I realize that maybe my own life isn't worth living anymore. I'm just hitting that bomb, right? I mean, right. I we've never spent time together, but I don't. I don't assume I would find that pleasant. No, and you well, know, I don't, don't want to know make what too these many guys are into. That. You know, there's a whole know, subculture that, think, for that. Sort I think of thing. that. I think the maybe the the I say maybe the key issue for me with the story is you got a nuclear bomb. Uh, you want this person dead, I'm assuming. It doesn't seem like there's a good faith effort to bring him in for questioning. Um, why, like, if I, let's take, let's change positions for a moment. If you're one of the soldiers uh-huh. and you know that you have this bomb. No, I hear you. all you're like, this is a shitty mission. Right. Why aren't you doing this right to begin with? In Just fact, in bomb fact, the guy. Why isn't the box the size of like a wedding ring case? And it's got the one soldier and a thermonuclear weapon in it. But I guess hmm. the answer is because then you wouldn't have a story. Yeah. You have a short story. Yeah, a really short story. <laughs> An even shorter like three story. paragraph story. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, imagine it's 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 quite, you know, sometimes brevity is the soul of wit. You know, though, if the... If the army men are calling out for surrender, then there must have been some sort of we can we can talk this out and talk about how that's interesting. You you need to pay pay for the crime that you've done, but we are a civilized society of little green army men, and See, we I want thought, you to I, do I your thought, your time. I about that, and I think that's I think that's reasonable. But then they would need the power of speech at some point. You know, which they, which they is, have in the story. To Eric, the, to Eric's point, yeah. though, they can write. Um. That's true. <laughs> they didn't set off the bomb. He set off the bomb when he threw the fucking flaming uh, can of lighter fluid into that box, right? So, uh, yes, you know, but he's not having in, but his not cake and eating it here, too, because, you know, Eric's point is logical, you know, hmm. but if it's only logical up until they set off the bomb, they did not. The the Renshaw is actually accidentally. Hmm. I, don't, I don't feel as if this the internal is a good logic hasn't been desire broken, for surrender, just to say. <laughs> like right. I just I just I don't I don't buy that they're gonna feel comfortable with their size taking this guy downtown or mm. going to you know what's the <laughs> if if there was someone waiting to a outside tribunal. Maybe, yeah, what are they gonna take him to a tiny court? It just feels <laughs> like they're saying surrender <laughs> because we're tired of this. Yeah. Let's <laughs> make a possibility. this easy. Right, well, but I mean, if and I, I realize that I'm what I'm about to say is taking this uh, obviously really fun, ridiculous short story written for a titty magazine uh, for like seventy five bucks. Um, 
uh, taking that very seriously. But if if you're going to take that that Vietnam era footlocker, you know, thing literally, then it's obviously supposed to be like a parallel to, you know, you have this killing machine dude that's the big guy in the room, right? Like these little army guys, you know, shouldn't be. Are you about to, to say Renshaw is America? Renshaw and- is absolutely America, and, <laughs> and you know, and it's not like you know, you know. And then he, he's he's supposed to be fighting, you know, the easily beatable uh, army guys, and they kick his ass. And you know, I don't know. I think that the, the especially when you consider, and again, I'm so sorry, I'm taking this so seriously. When we were just having this great conversation about you know tsunamis of of Wampler's uh, food poisoning shits taking out these <laughs> little green army men, like you know that that epic scene in The Impossible is. I have to live you know, my pre, truth. Yeah, pre Spider Man, Tom Holland, and Ewan McGregor get washed away. You know, mm-hmm. the little green yes. army men versions of them get washed away by. Okay, we don't need to make it more evocative. Poo poo. Poo poo, poo poo rivers. Um, <laughs> uh, and I apologize, but th- this point in time, this is like late sixties, early seventies. This is when King was like Vietnam was just yeah in his face. He was so anti-war. He was so anti-Vietnam. He'd written the Long Walk in college. He'd written all these things that are obvious uh, Vietnam era parallels. And it's uh, something he's touched on a lot throughout his career. So I have to imagine that was the idea, really, or, right? You know that, that well, this is. Okay. Yeah. I, I I like this idea, but I think and I think it kind of maps onto it. But also, if we're going to take it seriously, then it shouldn't be American soldiers in the Footwalker. It would be hmm. Viet Cong, right? Is Viet Cong a, a term we're not supposed to say anymore? I, think I don't know. Viet Cong still okay. Uh, that was the name, right? Yeah, that was the name. Not saying that. something horribly <laughs> yeah. racist here. Okay. Yeah, this isn't a. Uh, what was that 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 term from the uh, uh, the the monkey uh, episode? We're not get. We don't need to get uh, into that yeah. again. We should probably <laughs> just leave that one alone because uh, it was, you know, uh, it there was uh, just a smidge of racism to 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 that as we suspected that particular uh-huh. term. But um, I don't know. I think that's the name of their their fighting mill, the, like their fighting force over in Vietnam. Right, right. So. If I'm wrong about that, I apologize. But, you know, for this to really map as a one to one, that would have to be the case. He wouldn't be fighting Americans. Sure, sure. But, you know, I I don't know if the little green army men are supposed to represent America, at least in the story. Like, it definitely oh, wait, in we'll the, finish the in, rest of your because you were saying he represents America. What do they represent then? If not the Viet Cong? Well, I think they absolutely do represent Viet, the Viet Cong. I'm just saying that I think that the they are just described as coming out of like a Vietnam GI Joe style Vietnam footlocker. Right. In the story, in in the movie, it's very clear that they're like American soldier green army men, but that's not to say that they couldn't have been representative of another fighting force. I mean, it's the same, you know, this is the same parallel of, you know, I made the joke about it earlier, but the same parallel, the Ewoks versus the empire, you know, this is, this is a very well worn, thing where these you know the the smaller uh indigenous army takes out the military superpower fair right? enough, well, fair enough. Well, he, he's, he's the protagonist but he's not a good guy <laughs> it's, no he's not a, he has a he's point. not a nice fellow and I mean, maybe america he, shouldn't have been fucking around he, in vietnam you know he doesn't have yeah. any friends he doesn't have any loved ones right um you know i think that it's uh i think if anything it's 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 
it's it's the opposite. He's, I, I mean, if you think- he's mm. if he's America in the adaptation, then it's uh, it's about internal strife and conflict, which also tracks. Mm. But but I think that um, it's about nuts. He was more inspired here by <laughs> Victor Hugo, mm. and go on. Um, I think that uh, I think that the I think that he basically uh, it, it is the role of Javert. <laughs> okay, in, in Les Misérables, and the army that's, men are are, are two four six zero one. Oh, they're Gavroche. Actually, that's oh, the thing. Okay, you you would think <laughs> they're Valjean, an army of Gavroches. They're an army of Gavroches. Uh, yeah, and I think that the 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 idea here, which may uh, supplement some of the other theories you're positing, is about <laughs> not underestimating tiny fellows. Yep, um, and and as a five foot seven person, <laughs> I really took the side of the army men <laughs> um, because often I feel like I'm surrounded by people who are larger than me. And I, and that's why I carry a nuclear, a nuclear weapon. Mm-hmm. I'm a short guy too. I'm just I'm a smidge shorter than you are. And I don't, I'm sorry. I don't honestly notice it. Like no? I did when I was a kid, I think a lot more, but I think most kids notice that they're smaller than the people around them. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, like asking my parents, when am I going to get tall? And my parents, who are both the size of hobbits, just like looking at each other concerned, you know, like, <laughs> when what, I entered, what do we tell this fucking kid? Like, uh, I had such a late growth spurt that when I entered high school, I was 4'11". Holy shit. Oh, boy. Yeah, I was very, very small. And um, yeah, you get at some point you you build up this, you know, I think we don't realize how often we're looking at chins. Yeah, but um, <laughs> now you got your own milk hotel. So we short. never, you know, eyebrows are a luxury for us to get to <laughs> interact with. I'll tell you, I really, I really don't give it a lot of thought. I pay, I notice more, I notice more when it's someone shorter than I am, you know, but I don't, uh, so I imagine tall people are noticing this left and right when they got a shoddy on their hands, but. Well, I think they're just looking at the, I, I think they, there's a certain amount, I think they just look down. At, at us literally well that's fine that's a more flattering angle frankly is it i think i think so <laughs> you ever I don't take, know. you ever fucking like have your phone in your lap and you open up the camera and it's reversed good god yes that's true that's true <laughs> oh, it looks like you're looking the worst, at the under like and and i got a beard it looks like i'm looking at like the bottom of a a fucking hairy beanbag chair or something <laughs> or a beanbag if you know what i'm saying mm-hmm I uh, I do I do it's know back what you're to saying. nuts already <laughs> yeah That's a theme. It, it, all, it always comes back right there's always every I think every one episode that, that we do together the masculine <laughs> and the feminine journey, of course there's a singular you know it's last time it was vampire pee this mm-hmm. time it's potentially poisoned Brazil nuts perhaps <laughs> um, Brazil you know, nuts and I. But I do think that there is a there's got to be the the level of lack of interaction from neighbors, <coughs> police, so on. There has to be some element of hallucination going on here. Um, Don't you the, think? Uh, um, no, um, but but also <laughs> on the at the mention of Brazil nuts, I would like to sidebar here about this for a second. Hmm. Brazil nuts have to be the worst nut, right? Hmm. Like you um, get, if I get a fucking can of mixed nuts, 
I'm like either I'm avoiding the Brazil nuts all the way to the end and throwing them away, or I'm picking them out and throwing them out as I go. Depends Which one on are the Brazil nuts? Are they the big like white rock nuts? Yeah, yeah. Okay, they're big. Yeah. yeah, they're like macadamia nuts without flavor, and they're right. not spherical. They're shaped more like like a, a river, or, river stone or something. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's, it's a trash. I, nut. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I like a Brazil nut. Why? I'm gonna Why be would that you guy. Like a Brazil nut. Um, it, it feels it has it's you know when you bite into a Brazil nut, you feel that you feel the kind of explosion of nut oil that <laughs> feels like the healthy oils that you know all the all the TV people talk about. They talk hmm. about those healthy oils, healthy fats. A Brazil nut feels like something uh, exciting is happening. You know, so many nuts as you bite into them are they they feel almost inert. You know, it's the it's the salt on them that carries mm. them across the threshold. But a Brazil nut is is a commitment. I could not I could not disagree with your stance on this more uh, respectfully. Yeah, I mean, I'm only taking mine they don't. because I find it interesting. To disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually have any fucking feelings about Brazil nuts. Well, OK, I'm, well, walk me through a, mi- a can of mixed nuts. What are you going with last in that can of nuts? You know, I it's not so much that I don't like walnuts. Because I feel like walnuts have their time and place, mm-hmm, sure. but I feel like they are a different uh, texture, uh, a different kind of they they have a, a flavor that doesn't mix well with the other nuts. I put a peanut in a Brazil nut, I'm a happy guy. Peanut mm-hmm. and a cashew, happy guy. Classic combo. A walnut and a peanut, a walnut and a peanut do not a good couple make, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that on its own, a walnut place and time. Um. And time and place, but mm. I, I really don't. I, I never want one in. It's also it's got it's there's too many ridges. It's jagged. It's a, like little you know little petrified brains. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to hold on to. It's diff. It's a difficult nut, and I don't ever feel like I'm really uh, I'm getting the juice is not worth the squeeze, if you will. <laughs> it might be difficult to. It might be a difficult nut, but I hear what you're saying. If it's a really juicy nut, then you enjoy it. Yeah, a Brazil nut, it 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 glides once you get into it. It's smooth. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh it's it's an almost sensual nut. Yeah, I, I just that's that's absurd. What you're saying is absurd. It is the it is the the manila envelope of nuts, in my opinion. You it's don't like, like eating manila a cardboard. Envelope? Now, hold, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna I don't really wanna take, fucking take. eat one. I don't want to eat a, a wad of wet cardboard either. It's just, it's a flavorless nut. If, if you know, I've got nut in my mouth, I want it to be very flavorful. I don't think that's a tall order. You know, I, I think maybe, you know, are you, have you, have you been going to a, to a, a subpar nut purveyor? I've been going to Planners, baby. Yeah. You know, I don't think, I think Planners is really a peanut company. I think, Fair I enough. think they focus on the quality of the peanut. I think there's a lot of Brazil nuts out there that'll change your mind. You know what? I'm going to look for some yeah. gourmet Brazil nuts, and I'm going to try. I'm going to send you some gourmet Brazil nuts. I would love to eat them. I would love um, to eat them and see if, if see how wrong you are or right I think you are. What, I think what you should do, and just tell me if you agree. <laughs> I think you should give right now a good mailing address, and, <laughs> and I think on the that, air. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I think because I think that this could be very fun and interactive. A uh-huh. fun, a good mailing address where you'll be, you know, um, <laughs> y- your assassination coordinates. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and what we can do 
is have everyone out there because yeah, I'm I'm just one man with only sure. one one nut purveyor. Yeah. But <laughs> there's probably a lot of people listening now if they haven't turned this off, and <laughs> and they're going, oh, I know a really good Brazil nut place, and then we can. We can get a bunch of nuts delivered. This is, and this is to say nothing of what's going to happen when Big Brazil Nut gets a hold of this information. They're going to yeah, find out I, mean, I was shit talking their product on on a popular podcast, and they're probably going to inundate me with. I'm, I'm going to do a little. Well, I'm going to do a little Brazil Nut research here. Um, I wasn't prepared for this part. No, <laughs> but they 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 make a Brazil Nut body butter also. Okay, that's not eating a Brazil nut, though. You can't. You can't no, but, just name other things that have Brazil nuts in them and have <laughs> okay, it. Be the okay, same but thing. but also you're you're assuming that that you can't eat it. I am assuming that. Can I eat the Why? body butter? Well, I mean, is there is I don't know the rules. Where do you live? What state do you live in? <laughs> Texas. You know, Texas they're pretty strict against. Here, Texas has some pretty strict laws about you know uh, eating body about butter. Brazil nuts body butter. About body butter. Yeah. I mean, a single nut, you know, has a lot. It has 3.3 grams of of fat. A single Brazil nut. What? Yeah. Jesus Christ. That's pretty wild. That is. And I know what you're thinking. Even I need to get me some some more of that Brazil nut. (laughs) It's a healthy fat. It's a healthy fat. It's, it's, uh, It's got a ton of potassium. Uh-huh. And and magnesium, um, you know, there are seven proven health benefits of Brazil nuts. I am intensely uh, regretful of having. It's rich in selenium. It supports thyroid function. Um, <laughs> it may reduce inflammation, which I know mm. you're dealing with. Yeah, uh, it's good for your heart, and it may be good for your brain, supposedly because of the elagic acid and selenium. That, well, that, that um, part just of- in case you're wondering, elagic acid is a type of polyphenol found in Brazil nuts. It has both antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties. I read that. This I is just that. off the top of my head. Yes. I <laughs> have to look it up to make sure. Yeah. I learned that in fifth grade. Come yeah. on. Now. Yeah. I love uh, podcasting from home because I can cheat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how we've always done it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's time for the mid-roll once again, and I need to tell you about our friends at Mubi. Mubi is, of course, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There is something new to discover at Mubi. And in particular, I want to point out two things that are at Mubi right now. Uh, One of them is Park Chan-wook's Decision to Leave, which I saw at Fantastic Fest and can highly recommend. Mm -hmm. It's a really screwed up love story from the director of Old Boy. Did you see this one, Scott? I did not see it, but I'm a big Park Chan-wook fan, so oh uh, man, I missed it at Fantastic Fest. Oh, if you like Park Chan-wook, you're going to love this movie. And the other thing I want to tell you about is Lars von Trier's The Kingdom, which Stephen King himself loved so much that he went on and remade it in, into a show called Kingdom Hospital. Some of you have seen it. I know some of you have seen it because you've been demanding we uh, do an episode on it for like the last two and a half years. <laughs> uh, so someday, someday we will get to it. We just need our need a guest to pick it. But uh, I'm I'm actually mm-hmm. eager to do that because I haven't revisited that since uh, since it aired. Lars von Trier is finishing up the series, so not only can you get the first two seasons of The Kingdom, but you can get the new episodes of The Kingdom Exodus as they drop. You can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Fangoria. Now, with all that said, let's get back to the show. <laughs> 
So um, you guys haven't read any of these things, have you? You're just that's maybe the that's the long read. con. That's here. actually my big I, secret. No, I'm going to be honest. I was shooting off the cuff with my Brazil nut opinions, and I'm going to stand when by you them. Asked I think it's a fucking to, terrible nut. When you said I should do battleground, I thought these guys don't think I can read, and hmm. um. Well, and it I, was um, a quick turnaround time. What we didn't yeah. want to do was like throw, you know, a 600 page novel at you. And That's plus, true. plus you were like, I already have night shift. So, and I was like, all right, we'll pick a story out of night shift. And okay. this was and the I, clear I, winner. This was a lot of fun to tell you the truth. Oh, just, it's not over so yet. You no, know. I, no, I, I mean, reading it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Should Scott we talk thought more you about were trying to pre- prematurely. <laughs> terminate this yeah. podcast recording. <laughs> I got all, all the information I wanted to about Brazil nuts on the air. And, you know, it's time for me to take my leave, gentlemen. I, I have, yeah. uh, I, I came in, I came in with a plan. You know, I started with the nuts and here we are. Who's really running this show, boys? So what's the best nut? <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, it, it's, it's a, the, the peanut, the peanut mm. is the best nut. Mm. It's uh it's a it's a nut for the people. It uh, it can be used in savories and sweets, mm-hmm. sauces, um, Thai food. Know, yeah, Thai, yeah. Of course. I mean every yeah. every nut on earth could disappear, and I think we'd more or less be okay. Mm. Um, but I but I really think the peanut is is uh, it, it. I think we would not recognize ourselves in a world right. without peanuts. It's it's a workhorse nut for sure. Mm-hmm. It, it, it also carry, provi- it does a lot oil. of things. It's a very high smoke point oil. And peanut butter is one of the best things that's ever existed on this sure. planet. Sure. It's a very I, important, important uh, spread. I I think the almond might might give it a run for its money in terms of, of just taste comparisons, one to one. But, you know, I like peanut butter way more than I like almond butter. I'll put it put that out there. I'll I'm the, not I'll an almond the butter to... guy. I'm not an yeah, almond butter guy. I don't like almonds either. Mm. I think they're I think they're boring. Um, not so what's quite your as favorite? bad as the Brazil nut. I think I think for me it's the cashew, the humble cashew. Mm. Yeah, you can do all kinds of shit with cashews. You're, I mean, peanut kind of gives it an edge, especially when you bring up Thai food, because yeah. nine times out of ten, like if I'm ordering pad Thai from my favorite place, I'm going to ask them for extra scallions, extra peanut, extra egg. I like all yeah. that shit in a pad Thai. No bean sprouts, though. I don't fuck around with those. It just sounds like you want an omelet. No, because they don't cook it that way. You should try ordering pad thai sometime. It's good. I will. Ask them for extra Brazil nuts. Extra Brazil nuts. It'll be really easy to eat, I would imagine. (laughs) All right. Let's get back to... Are you sure? (laughs) I I don't know if if we've plumbed the depths. I'm just trying to think of how we find our way back. We haven't even talked about pistachios yet, and you want to move on. That's a nut that requires a commitment. And I like that. <laughs> you have to be willing to be injured. Uh, pistachios are devastating. I, I got into pistachios the last few years. Um, there's a company. I forget the name of the company that makes them. But they make uh, bags. That makes sh- them? Well, <laughs> make shelled ones that are flavored. And they are mm-hmm. fucking delicious. They make like a salt and vinegar one. They make like... Mm-hmm. Uh, a barbecue one. There's like all kinds of, there's like half a dozen different flavors and they're all, but that's just, great. but you, it just sounds like you like flavor powder. Yeah. But you're also <laughs> getting the nut in there and you don't have to do the work. And <laughs> also here's, let me tell you, hold on. Let me you tell you something else. The, no, hold, you hold let on. Let me tell you something else. I believe about pistachios. 
No, you're going to like this because okay. when I buy a bag of those things that are already shelled, I can only eat like not even a handful, like three fingers and a thumbful at a time, right? Because, well, I mean, I guess you could do more than that, but it feels like too much of a good thing. And I do like the ritual of opening pistachio shells. Yeah. But what I found is the shelled ones, it's good. Like, I want some pistachios. I don't have time to sit here and shell these bad boys. I just want to, like, dip my hand into the bag, throw, like, eight of them in my mouth. Perfect. Love it. Great snack. Do you have a record player? Yeah. Do you play records on it? Yeah. (laughs) I do, too. Uh And to me... The pistachio is the record player of nuts. This is mm. a very good point. Yes. It is a I know exactly it is an, what you mean. It is an intentional process. Spotify, that's a peanut. Yes. Apple Music, you know, that's an almond. Yes. But when you put on a record, you have to get up, you have to take it out carefully. You have to find the groove back in the groove. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you, this can't help myself. And and then you have to, you know, you have to put in the work and you're going to get a nice bit of time out of it. And if you want to continue, you have to go back and do it all again. There's an intentionality mm-hmm. both to record listening and to pistachio consumption. I think, it's I, think a, I think it's a reasonable it's amount of work as well. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not, you know, it's not like a sunflower a seed can, can yeah. fuck right off. For mm. a sunflower, I'm, a sunflower seed, you got to fucking break it. That doesn't count as a nut, though. Does I know it, it doesn't, but it's similar in that it's got. I, go, it's I a, get it. A little shell, and you got to do a thing, to, and you got to like break it with your teeth, and then eat it. And it's like for this much fucking seed, get the mm-hmm. fuck out of here, sunflower no, seeds. I, I'm, get gonna, better. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna say something that I hope you guys can can take and mm. make better. Um, but I've never eaten a sunflower seed the way that you just described. I just what? chew them. No, like shell and all. I've never even considered removing the shell. The shell. Okay, well, that's you don't not, eat the shell. No, that's not good for you. That's gonna tear up your intestines. Your baby. colon's probably ribbons by now. Is this? This may explain a lot. Because <laughs> I played little league baseball when I was like twelve, and I was just well, I was hope, know, I hope shoving would play sunflower seeds into my mouth. <laughs> it, it never occurred. They're so small. I'm and supposed to do something with them? There's and probably a direct hole between your stomach and your anus. <laughs> there's nothing left in between. It's all been shredded by the amount of sunflower seeds you've eaten. You're sure you're not talking about just the deshelled sunflower seeds? No, right? I'm talking about the, the, the sunflower seeds. The little like I've teardrop seen the shape. deshelled yeah. ones, you know, in movies. Yeah. But I'm not that fancy a guy. And in fancy restaurants. Yeah, but I, I always just thought the salt is on the outside. Yes. I, I just chew it and then I eat it. Is this no. not correct? Do you also eat like you, the artichoke leaves whole as well? Or do you? How do you eat a, how do you eat a walnut unshelled? You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen a walnut. Correct. In real life. What? I how? Can, you mean unshe- in, a, in a shell? Yeah. People put them out like. I'm not even, I don't even know if I've ever seen a walnut shell. That's interesting. Really? You, yeah, it's a. I just want to be honest iconic. with you guys. I'm Little, a, I'll have to. Yeah. I mean, can I Google walnut shell while we're here? <laughs> sure. sure. You have you have to have seen a walnut shell. This is like they I've, use okay, them as decorations around. I've, yeah. I've never I've interacted. I've never interacted with this. <laughs> That's would, what that is. I've seen this, but I've I was seen that. I was not involved. No, I've never <laughs> interacted with this. 
Have you guys inter- you guys are interacting with walnut shells? Oh yeah, I have. Yeah, when? Or, what are you doing? Not not usually because it's a real pain in the ass to eat them like that. I just yeah, get them. That's what shell. those Christmas decorations are like with the the nutcrackers. Yeah. They're built for like walnuts. At least they were for my no one my, in my family. Yeah. People use those. Yeah. Oh yeah. I thought it was an idea. You know, <laughs> I, I think it's a little outdated. Yes, perhaps the the nutcracker has been replaced by the elf on the shelf, which I I don't, I don't understand that thing at all. No, I feel confident <laughs> saying I've never uh, interacted meaningfully with a walnut shell. Interesting. Yeah, the, those... I, I, I have some nut. Um, I have some nut differences. I <laughs> I never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich until I was in my mid thirties. What? Um, so that and was you didn't an have an allergy or nothing. You're no throwing, allergy. Throwing a lot at us here. Alone. No allergy. Well, yeah, yeah no. this is this is getting into unbelievable territory here. That no, it's there was my fiance uh, kind of at one point got tired of the trivia piece about me that I'd never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, so she had me take a bite of one. I thought it was fine, but I never it never occurred to me prior to that. Huh, that's insane. So, so no your peanut parents, butter jelly sandwiches and no walnut shells. Your Literally. parents sent you to school with what in your lunchbox? Then was it? Uh, so I, I I grew up with a with a uh, with an Israeli mother, mm-hmm. and I went to school. I got just to be clear, I got made fun of for this a lot. But I went to school with uh, sandwiches that mostly contained goat cheese and olives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that sounds no like a worst nightmare. On. Yeah, <laughs> there, was, there was not a lot of trading. I didn't. Uh, I I ate my goat cheese and olive bagel dutifully. <laughs> If I can uh, grab the, the horns of this bull and try yeah. desperately to, to 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 force it to the ground of Stephen King again, um, <laughs> did you have Little Green Army Men when you were a kid? I know you had goat cheese and olive sandwiches. We've covered. So that I part. didn't have Little Green Army Men when I was a child, but I did uh, in my. I don't know what happened, but in my let's say early twenties, I went to a store and bought a bunch of Little Green Army Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I placed them strategically around my apartment in Sherman Oaks, facing outwards. Um, uh-huh. as like a, a protection as spell? A, as a method of protection. Mm. I see. That was your home security in Sherman Oaks. Yeah, I couldn't. I, they didn't ring, didn't have anything yet. Um, so that's that's what I used. And I also at one point bought a so necklace. So how many times did your a, place get broken yeah. into? Oh, it was a nightmare. Yeah, no, I didn't have anything. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I don't really know why I did that. But I did. That's actually not just a joke. That I actually, I didn't think of them as security, but I thought it was a kind of a funny little thing. Did anyone no. ever pick up on it? Uh, well, when you opened up my medicine cabinet, there would be a couple facing you. And uh-huh. I think that startled a few people who were looking for cold medicine. <laughs> or looking through your cabinet. Not, not because they're, they're scary, to... but because what's this adult doing with meticulously <laughs> placed army men in his in what you want to what you want to do with a medicine apartment. cabinet that opens is fill it with marbles. And then <laughs> and then you wait and you find out which one of your friends likes to snoop through your shit when they're they're taking uh, a week. Yeah. Where do you keep your medicine in this particular in this in the marble in cabinet. The oh, of course. <laughs> like, obviously. Of course. My God. I'm sorry. Can yeah. we edit that question out? Because that's going to make <laughs> no, me look real dumb. 
Um, when you were a kid, did you ever imagine your toys coming to life? A la Toy Story. Uh, was that, was that a, a common thing that you did or like, yeah, how, do you, how, do no, you, how did you interact with toys when you were a kid? Were they uh, like soldier it, toys? Were they key men? Like, what are we, give me a, give me a broad outline. No. So I, um, my, my grandfather, uh, convinced me growing up that he was a, um, that he was a zookeeper. Um, and he wasn't, he, he, he was, he was not, no. Um, but it was a kind of a, a running gag for his entire life um, that he was a zookeeper. And so I had a lot of animal toys, like wind up animals and, you know, things. It was a lot of animal because all the stories in my family were about his interactions with animals. So your whole family was perpetuating this lie? Well, I think that I think that my older sister's were a little bit more aware perhaps that he wasn't actually a zookeeper. Mm. But I think that my parents probably just assumed that we all knew he wasn't. Mm. But man, I was very surprised when I found out he was not a zookeeper and that the animals in his zoo uh, couldn't talk um, because they didn't exist. Okay. Um. <laughs> Is this going closer to where you thought it would go? <laughs> No, it's, I just, you're, you've given us so much to unpack just in the course of the last hour. Um, I'm not even sure where to begin. Like, was the idea to give you animal toys so you weren't playing with, say, more violent toys? Did, were were you getting exclusively animal toys because for some other reason, like what? Why was everyone keeping up this bizarre story that your grandfather ran a zoo? Like, don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. I have very fractured uh, childhood memories. Most of them are just colors and shapes. Mm, maybe for the better. Yeah. It sounds like it was confusing. Yeah, it does. And it's certainly intentionally it's not, confusing on someone's part. If, yeah. So yeah. when we have no idea, some more peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, then your memory might be a little bit better. Mm. Well, I need I need the goat cheese and olive in order to to get those memories back. I think I need to trigger <laughs> uh, that time in my life when I was right. getting made fun of at school, and they all all the kids wouldn't eat them, and they called them elanwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. This is all true. That's some, that's some, I mean, listen, kid, that's shitty and no kid should pick on, you know, anybody and whatnot. That, that's pretty inventive. Uh, that's pretty right clever. There. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. pretty clever bullying. I got, I got to give a little well, bit I of remember, credit to those I remember mean assholes. Bondly, the kid who came up with that term, his name was Ron. And um, he was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that's not, it's not a bad bit. No. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's good, good wordplay for like an 11 year old. Right. So here's, here's I'm proud of him. Yeah, good job, Ron. Um, so here's another question, uh, and this is also something we've discussed on the show, but in a different for a different story. Hitmen, the topic of hitmen. Uh, mm-hmm. You have any interest in hitmen as a thing, or is it just like any other job someone might have in a story? I'm sort I, of fascinated I, I, by them. Yeah, I'm. I'm very interested in in the the morality kind of jumping through hoops that's probably required to be a hitman mm-hmm. uh, either. Cause I, I think that it's easy to imagine them as moralist outlaws, 
But I'm willing to bet that a fair number of hitmen have done some real mental gymnastics to allow them to feel confident and comfortable in their life decisions and to potentially even feel as if they are a net positive. That Those are the hitmen. I've never met one to my knowledge, but those are the ones I'm, I'm most fascinated by are, are the ones who I think have some kind of moral code and how they draw those lines in order to find a place mm-hmm. where they can, you know, kill human beings, which is decidedly bad. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I know it's done for money, but I also think that people justify their morality. And I'd be really interested to hear from some hitmen. Um, so if you also, I think you should give your address and any letters <laughs> that they might want to send if they're listening, moral hitmen. Well, we, uh, but no, that that's that's the part that's that's fascinating to me because I right. I feel like there has to be a complex emotional turmoil that comes along with that job, or that they could all just be sociopaths. I but I yeah, don't but think they all are. They I think they all be sociopaths. They, right? Yeah, you're right, and I think that the ones who, you know, the conversation we had about this previously was that. The impression that you often get is that hitmen are stupid because they are frequently getting caught in like FBI stings in Florida or something. Someone wants their husband knocked off or, you know, uh, shit like that. Uh, It's always like someone who's like meeting out in the open at like a Denny's and getting recorded by like someone who's somehow even stupider than they are. And then they they end up getting busted, you know, Uh, murder for hire plot foiled in. In, in Miami right. this week, you know, yeah. I think, that, but I think that's uh, maybe a, maybe the incorrect impression because the good hitmen obviously aren't doing that kind of shit and they wouldn't be getting caught. It's just the dumb ones that we hear about. So that's, so, a, there's gotta be some, there's gotta I, be some hitmen out there that are very good at their job. I think those ones are the sociopaths. I think the hmm. dumb ones are, People just trying to be cool or fucking hard asses or something. I think you got to be pretty. You got to really feel like a career in, I don't know, retail management isn't for you. (laughs) Right. Because there's so many paths that are, again, like it's the lack of trust you're able to have with your fellow man. Mm -hmm. That must be, you know, a big part of you to A, feel like you can kind of take someone's life because you've been paid to do it. But also you can't have a lot of good friends, you know, you can't be honest about who you are. And I think that that level of loneliness Hmm. um, probably leads to a lot of introspection. Yeah. It kind of has to. You just, you, you, you can't go through your, your day talking to people about your day. Um, and so I think you probably spend a lot of time thinking. And I, I imagine that a sociopath would actually get quite bored. Mm. Go on. Yeah, probably sloppy. on that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I just think that if you're if you're out there and you're you're killing humans, you must really think about what that means because if you're any good at your job you're probably aware of the emotional fallout of the people around that person 
And the sociopath obviously might not care. Sure. But but it doesn't mean that they're not capable of the thought processes that not, someone would have that would lead to caring. Just because you don't have the feeling doesn't mean you're not familiar with the thought processes that most people have that, that creates the feeling. Uh, and, and so I think that not having a place to process that, hmm. not having a, a person you can talk to about what those things mean, probably means that you get into a lot of circular reasoning and then you probably start creating a little bit of your own worldview collectively about the idea of what humanity is, about what life is for. Um, but that doesn't necessarily sound boring to me. It sounds, it doesn't sound boring, but it would become boring because there's no external I'm, input. Sure. Right? That's like true. We all, we all know our, own, our thoughts, in my opinion, I believe that we are all generally quite bored by our own thoughts. It requires mm. external input in order to either question or affirm those thoughts that allows us to have new ones. We already possess yeah. all of our own computational power. And the things that we think are going to become stagnant and boring and inert until they're pressed against by some external force. And if you can't uh, interact with external forces about your thoughts, your thoughts will probably begin eating away at you from the inside, not in an emotional way, but in a really fucking boring way. Well, all of that adds up. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we don't really get a sense of, um, fuck, what's his name? Renshaw. Uh, Renshaw. Renshaw. We don't really, I was going to say Hawthorne for some reason. Um, it's the same. Yeah, it's got a W in it. I always Cramfield. think of Renfield when, when like, yeah, me too. Think you say Renfield. Yeah. Um, yes, Renshaw. We don't Renshaw. really get much of a sense of him. I think you get more of a sense of him in the adaptation than in the short story. Yeah. You know, there's it, he at least has that, you know, I'm thinking of the interaction with the woman on the plane or, right. yeah. you know, seeing him travel, seeing him kind of, I don't know, his, seeing how his apartment is decorated, I think sort of informs the character, not only from his like, you know, the collection of things that he has, but also um, it's it's kind of sparse. Otherwise, it's um, not gaudy, I wouldn't say. Mm. Um, and filled with weird little details like the indoor outdoor pool thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love that pool. Yeah. Can you imagine having something like that? I would. That's, fucking... It's a really it's a really cool place. But again, it goes back to the same thing where there's a real sense of loneliness both in the story and in the adaptation. Oh, that's true. You know, if you're, if you're pulling in that kind of money and, you know, speaking of the money, there's a, there's like a throwaway line in the, in the short story where they say that he is only available to work twice a year and he makes $10,000 each time. And I'm thinking, how the fuck are you? And, you know, obviously the answer is inflation. Like that's how you're he's right. affording a penthouse. It's, a, it's, but, it's yeah. certainly a cautionary. 1972, 20 grand. Got you much, much yeah, further. I'm than thinking that's probably today. what two hundred thousand dollars today. Mm. Hundred fifty. It's got to be. It's got to be in the in the in the six figures. Yeah, probably low, but nonetheless. Yeah, and if you only have to work twice a year, but it's not like you know. You're right. It's not like you're going to be inviting people over to that pool. No, he. There's a. I. I. I think it's. I think it's quite intentional. Is that there's a real 
inhumanity to the character overall. Mm-hmm. Right. He's, he's, a, he's a reactor. A loner. Um, yeah. He doesn't seem to have any desires. And his, you know, in, in the in the in the in the story, he seems almost just kind of like put off by this inconvenience mm-hmm. more yeah. than anything. In the in the adaptation, he becomes kind of more emotionally invested, but he's it's all coming from a place of anger. Um yeah, and, right. and a sense of revenge, right? It doesn't it doesn't feel like he has that's I think that's the sad thing about the character is it doesn't feel like he actually cares about living as much as he doesn't want to be beaten. Yes. And it, cer- it certainly becomes a, a contest for him in the uh in the the way William Hurt plays this character. Yeah, where it's just like there's no way these things will beat me. Which goes back to the whole, you know, why I think that uh he kind of is is uh, brought down by his hubris where he can't he doesn't take these things as seriously as he should, you know? Uh, I go far as to say that I think the the anti-war sentiment in this is is in that everyone loses. Yeah, mutually assured destruction. There's right? there's a one hundred percent you know fail rate for survival because even if these even if these guys somehow you know cut him down to size, they're still going to use this nuclear weapon at some point, right? They have it for a reason, and they're not using it as a method of deterrence, right? Because they're not announcing it. Right. It's actually intended for use. And I think that it's really about the the, the total uh, evisceration of, of life when weapons get to a certain point. It feels like an, anti, you... an anti-nuclear weapon um, it could piece be. more than for anything sure. else. Now, uh, you nodded to this earlier. Uh, when you were talking about that, the the episode is completely dialogue free. I'm wondering what you thought of uh, the direction in general. This episode was helmed by um, Brian Henson, who's Jim Henson's son. Uh, he's got uh, what the what the fu- uh, Happy Time Murders, it's a, mm-hmm. a feature he directed a few years ago, which was kind of infamous in Hollywood. That script bounced around for well over a decade trying to get made, and they, you know, at various points they had like a million different directors attached to it and all these different stars and, you know, who was going to lead it. And, you know, it was sort of this great unmade project. And we finally saw it and it wasn't very good. Um, but this, yeah, it's I, very think, bad. I think, I think Henson's adaptation in battleground is low key. One of the best Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be two and a half hours long to count as an adaptation. This right. is a 44 minute thing. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. It gives you a little extra from the short story to mm-hmm. yeah, to pad out the running time. But also I think it's a more, I think the ending of the adaptation is more satisfying the way hmm. I think the, that whole take yes. on it is more satisfying. So, um, but now that I've outlined my whole opinion on it, uh, I guess uh, what, it, what, how did you feel about the direction of the episode, how they captured the army men? special effects, well, if, I'm being, all that. if I'm being honest I thought it was really well done yeah um I thought that it there was there's a shot where they uh they enter the um enter one of the one of the small helicopters while it's flying yeah yeah and, and I thought that visually it really was kind of impressive um 
I think there was, if anything, I'd say my one my one complaint about the adaptation is it felt as if there was a, uh, a, a con- concerted effort to omit dialogue. And I understand that. But I think there was a couple of times where it could some have kind of, yeah, just, just a few, you know, if you're alone and you're fighting nonsensical beings, I think there's a point at which you try to communicate with them, try to ask a question. Would you? Right. And I, I certainly would. Maybe not the first two or three minutes, but after a while, even if I'm assuming... After they that send you a note that they know you know that they they can write English. Well, I'm I have to assume that they're also being guided by another force. I have to make the assumption that there's someone behind this, and the handwritten note kind of helps me feel that way. So, can I use them as a proxy to come to some kind of agreement? I think that was the one place where I felt there was a tiny bit of disconnect for me. I just wanted him to try something other than violence to mm. to figure out what it was that he could do to get him out of this situation. I also, I want to point out, I think that you, we've rightfully talked about how the adaptation uh, gives a little oomph to the ending, right? Um, and mm-hmm. makes it, you know, like a nice finale, like a, an escalation of, of, of violence and, and stuff. And he's bloodied and cut and yeah. shot, you know, at this point. But he wins, and then there's the there's the the nice you know topper on it. But I also think it's a really brilliant idea to show him just how good he is at his job at the beginning, where he's doing like fucking James Bond shit at the beginning, right? You know, setting up decoys and whatnot, you know, and, and getting through this this for some reason heavily uh, you know security you know toy toy factory. Oh, he's good. Uh, yeah, and he's like really good at it. So when you see him, you know, it just really underlines the whole ridiculousness is like, of course this guy can, can uh, take out these army dudes, right? That this shouldn't be a challenge for him. But uh, you know, I don't know. I thought that was a really good idea, you know, a really good way to open it up. And I also love that you get that, you get to see the toy maker, you know, that he unfortunately uh, assassinates. You gotta uh, you know, wonder how it, what a toy maker does to get brought down by a hitman. It's also well, like 11 PM and the toy maker is in his toy place. Yes. Kind of just looking at his toys. <laughs> and I, you know, I get that we're doing a little bit of, you know, a character introduction. Sure. But I just don't imagine that the CEO <laughs> of the toy company is like, fuck, let me just look at this one again. Yeah, the workday well, ended six hours ago, but uh, these toys aren't going to look you know, at themselves. He's not like crunching you know what I mean? numbers. He's just looking and admiring the toys. I guess he really likes them. You know, maybe that's maybe that's the tragedy here. Maybe this <laughs> this guy is this guy like this guy's really he's you know he's probably being taken down for some financial reason. This dude just fucking loves toys, man. Like he probably would give it all up. If I look at this character, I think this is a man who would give it all up tomorrow. He'd hand over the keys to the kingdom to William Hurt. Man just loves toys. Just thinks they're good. Hmm. So that begs the question then, why was there a hit put out on this guy? Was it a competing toy manufacturer? Did somebody know that he was doing some weird fucking magic shit with his toys that he could uh, make them, you know, come alive and turn into little, you know, army patrols? It's like, so what, 
like what do you think prompted the hit on this guy? Well, it's a great question. I'm thinking like there's a version of the story where the hitman is more of a Billy Summers type. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, you know, he's uh, only killing bad people, so to speak. Right. 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 But I would and I think in that version of the story, the toy maker turns out to be a pedophile or something like that. Something real mm. obvious, you know, or some silver shamrock kind of mm. crazy thing where he's going to try to kill all the nation's kids with his evil toys or something. Yeah, maybe. Um, mm. But I don't get the impression either in the book, either in the short story or the uh, the adaptation that. Renshaw as a character is particularly picky about um, the hits that he takes on. Right. He doesn't there's, seem to be. There's no indication one way or another on that. So I have to assume that he doesn't care. And he yeah. also seems very cold. So I don't think this is a hitman with a heart of gold story. Um, yeah. And in that case, I think it, who knows, maybe he's a fucking business rival. Some other toy maker took him out, something like that. But um, there's the simplest, you know, Occam's razor on this motherfucker. The the simplest answer is probably the correct ones. And it's probably that it's probably um, not that he was <clears throat> running a silver Samrock operation or like, you know, he was, you know, diddling kids or something like that. He was just like, he was a business rival. Someone had more money, wanted to take him out. Boom, done. Um, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with bad driver. Okay. <laughs> I'm into right. this. Okay. Uh, it's just, he had the, the vibe of being a bad driver, and I, I think maybe if he cut off the wrong guy, mm. um, you know, that's the, at least that's what I think about when I think about. I think that's what most hits are: revenge for bad driving. And now I'm trying to picture people <laughs> cutting off Ilhan in traffic. I have a lot of <laughs> like, so it, it's yeah. the only people worthy of death in Ilhan's world are, are bad drivers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not worthy of death, but in, in consideration. Right. Or death there, by, you know. death by hire, too. For sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> not, not just bad. Well, let me be better. Inconsiderate. Yes. That's the real Inconsiderate driving. You know, I really, you don't, you don't use a turn signal while turning. You do it before. <laughs> you do mm-hmm. it before. The signal that your car is turning, once it's turning, is the car turning. This is true. Have I lost you? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm more, I'm more keyed into this conversation than ever. Um, is there, is there anything else we want to talk about in relation to mm. Battleground? There, there is one moment that I really, that really, I thought was insane and wonderful. In the adaptation, he tries to escape via the elevator, and at some point he crawls up on top of the elevator. And he does yeah. the most ballet-like backflip <laughs> from one elevator to the other moving elevator, mm. and it's it's art. It that's that is art. That is a a Mission Impossible style roll, and of course it doesn't work out for him because the commando is on his shoe or something. But for a for a movie that generally shows all participants in warfare to be relatively inelegant. Mm-hmm. There's this one real Baryshnikov role that I just think is worth, <laughs> like if nothing else, watch this movie to see 
this role. Well, no one's ever done anything like it. Okay, I, mm. I reread the short story for this, but I didn't rewatch the episode because I've seen it like two or three times. But I don't remember this moment. You said you first. You said a backflip, and now you're saying a roll. So he's on his back, and he rolls backwards and flips again onto his back on the next elevator. So it's both a roll and a backflip, mm. like a backwards somersault. Kind of, but it's done. It's it's down. It's done soundlessly. Okay, I'm gonna have it's, to. I'll cue it up it, after it, this. <laughs> yeah, I, I really just just skip to the elevator sequence, and and watch it once he gets to the top. It's something you'll be surprised that it hasn't etched itself permanently in your memory. Hmm. I'm already surprised, but I'll definitely look it up. I gotta I gotta see that. Do I? I have a question. Do you think that at the very end of all the spinoffs? Um, and the multiple, multiple sequels that what we're going to end up with is a 65-year-old Keanu Reeves as John Wick fighting a group of, uh, of possessed army toys. No. And do you think he will win? Nobody could easily take him out, even at 65. It's John Wick. Yeah. Really. yeah. I, mm. I think at some point, Keanu, I, I think that that's the thing about Keanu. So I think people underestimate how good he is verbally. And mm. uh, I think that I think where we get with John Wick eventually, my hope as a big John Wick fan, I hope we get to a place where it's all just talking. I'd like to see it a John Wick kind of mumblecore ending. <laughs> it just all, all the uh, the the stabbings and barbs are all just verbal wit. Yeah, he sits down and he yeah. just kind of figures it out. Yeah, you know, I think that he's got it in him. I think that I think that putting an end to the mm-hmm. violence is the is the ultimate <laughs> goal for John Wick. He never wanted any of this, you know. That's true. He was mm-hmm. just a guy. He's been thrust into this ultra violent world. Really, he doesn't want it. You know, let him let him sit around. Let him let him you know rent out the the, the private room of a, of a of a nice restaurant and have all of his enemies that want to kill him there. For dinner, mm. and just uh, just talk it out. My dinner with with John. That'll be the uh, yeah. That'll be the final <laughs> installment. They all just yeah. talk it out and agree to let it everything go. Water under the bridge. I, I think and then so. Someone I pulls I, out a bowl of nuts. Exactly, and they've all been poisoned. Absolutely. Mm. They're um, poisoned. Is this Brazil my last nuts. time being invited on the show? <laughs> no, this is all. Good. This is all good. <laughs> just want to. Ch- I want to check in. No, 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 no. Progress. We are we are going great. But I am I am definitely out of things to say about Battleground. <laughs> well, yeah, it's I mean, a good spot it, to, it, to wrap up, I think. Okay. We, we've we've tripled the length of reading the thing and the adaptation. <laughs> yes. Just in talking about yeah. what kind of nuts we like. I mean, it's yes. not a yeah. you know, we're I think we've really stretched this out, baby. <laughs> the, uh, it's a you could have watched you could have watched that TNT Nightmares and Dreamscapes episode twice in the time that we've run this. Well, you could have lived this entire experience. <laughs> a, dig- a digressive episode, but I think we uncovered some very important things here about the nature of reality television, about the Oedipal complex, about mm-hmm. nuts. You know, this was a valuable conversation on top of, you know, a full hour's worth of King Talk. You know, I mean, I know. You, you talk about delivering. This is the sort of Christmas present I think we should all want. I, I think if there's, if there's nothing else, I think we've provided Christmas cheer for millions yes. and millions of fans. <laughs> and this on the winter equinox, the shortest day of the year, this is how you should use your time. <laughs> Holy agreed. 
this is usually the part in the show where we uh, allow our guests to tease whatever they've got going on right now, whatever they've got coming up, where people can find them, all of that stuff. Uh, Alon, the, f- the floor is yours. Uh, yeah, you can find me uh, most social media uh, platforms under uh, the year of Elon. And um, listen, I, I got lots of things that I could plug, I guess, but I think I just want to say I love you to everyone no. out there in spirit of the holiday season. I'm not going to use this for promotional purposes this time. I'm just going to say that you're all very nice, and I, I think it's nice of you to listen to me talk. No. That's very nice. That's very sweet. Uh, Back in the Groove is available on Hulu as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's great. It's really, it's really great, honestly. I feel amazing yes. about it. Yes. And we, we look forward to that setting up the or knocking over a row of dominoes that will ultimately end at uh, the Oedipal Complex. Um, you're, you're, you're doing as much to bring this to the mainstream as that, uh, that recent Game of Thrones show. With all the uh, the minute the minute you sell it, going on in you that. you let me know, and I'll be the first to jump off a bridge. <laughs> Very well, <laughs> thank you for being here, Alon. Uh, this was great, and uh, you know you're definitely coming back. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. You're both incredibly handsome and sweet. Oh, I thank you. Many thanks to Elon Gale for returning for yet another impassioned uh, appearance on the show. I. I don't know about you, Scott, but I really love these these episodes that go like where it's not just that it goes off the rails in certain point, points, but like it goes like deep off the rails. Like that wasn't that whole nut discussion that we had in this episode wasn't like a, a throwaway 30 seconds like that became like a solid 10 minute in-depth yeah. discussion. And I hope the listeners like it as much as I do. But to me, that's when the show really kind of comes alive and you can actually kind of get a peek inside of uh, our minds and the minds of our guests. Yeah. Um, going down these blind alleyways is, is baked into the DNA of the show. Um, if anyone does not appreciate that, uh, we're going to keep doing it. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Eric is right. That's there's, there's some good shit to be found in there. And also, I don't know the way I look at this is like, I watch the clock when we're recording. Yeah. And I pay attention to like how much is passed on this, how much is passed on that subject, you know, so on and so forth. And I kind of feel like if we get a solid 50 minutes of King Talk in every episode, if not yeah. an hour, then everything else is just a bonus. That's how I'm looking at it. So, mm. um, but I, but Elon has a talent for yanking us down those alleyways, <laughs> I think, or something about him inspires us to do it ourselves. Uh, so I think that's what you can expect from, you know, uh, his future appearances on the show, because I doubt that's the last time we're going to hear from him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I can say that we've recorded uh, a few episodes for the next month or so of releases at this point. And we have a we have a fair amount of divergent episodes coming. We, ju- we just recorded one today, which will keep a little secret until, until it's ready to unveil that bad boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we recorded one today that like was pushing two hours and it's uh, on a short story and we do very much the same uh, kind of thing here where we, we go off on all these random tangents, but always circle back to how it like relates to King. I don't know the, the whole idea of the show, you know, as we've said a few times uh, is we kind of just want to had a, we wanted to have a podcast that was just like your friends bullshitting about Stephen King. We went all right. went out to dinner and we're all having a conversation and that's never going to, follow a strict structure you know Mm -hmm. 
as you said, it's baked into the DNA and has been from the beginning. So I hope you guys like it. That's uh, I, I know those are the ones that I like doing for the show. So, yes, hopefully that goes through. The stuff uh, that's too formatted, it's uh, it's not as interesting. It is. It gets rigid and, uh, you know, I don't know, predictable. And uh, it just feels rote after a while. And hopefully, uh, you know, this uh, all these weird uh, discussions on what nut is best is the kind of thing that keeps us fresh. You know, we, we got some fresh says, nuts here is what I'm saying. Fuck the Brazil nut. That's what the King <laughs> cast says. <laughs> Anti-Brazil nuts. Let's get some new shirts made. <clears throat> So we should talk a little bit about this is our our uh, technically our Christmas episode, this one, because it's going to be the last mm-hmm. one to air before Christmas. So, uh, you know, I think it, it's prudent to say, you know, happy holidays to all the listeners. And yes, for all of our Patreon supporters, uh, we wanted to give you a nice Christmas present as well. And we're doing that in the form of this month's commentary. Uh, Scott, would you like to? you know, kind of tell people what, what they're in for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, frequent listeners of the show are familiar with a gentleman by the name of Flula Borg, Mm. who's, who's been on a a few times now. Um, he came on to discuss Carrie, knocked that one out of the park. We brought him back to do uh, maximum overdrive at one point, which was another very festive recording. He also appeared on, uh, this past year's anniversary special, the, uh, night shift of 100 stars. And we wanted to bring him in for a commentary track. And given how well he given how well he handled Maximum Overdrive, we've decided to double dip on a <laughs> Maximum Overdrive commentary, one of which we already have somewhere in the in the vault um, from early in the show's run. Yeah. Nacho Vigalondo. Um, but it's been a couple of years since we did that one. So we didn't think uh, there'd be a problem with doing a fresh take. And especially not if we had Mr. Flula Borg on as the guest. So this Friday on the KingCast Patreon, you're getting Flula Borg's live, like moment by moment reaction to Maximum Overdrive. And uh, it's uh, it's about exactly what you would expect. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. It is. It, it's uh, it's one that comes from a place of love because we do all uh, in our own each <laughs> unique and inv- individual way love that movie for what it is. Uh, but even with that love, there comes a point about halfway through where we go, oh, yeah, this this is where it kind of loses steam for a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, you're going to get uh, to hear that frustration in real time, folks. But I, I hope we keep it entertaining. It feels like we kept it entertaining and like Flula just can't help but be the I don't know, demand your ear attention at all times. You know, that dude's always got something funny or out of left field to say. And uh, I don't know if you've ever wanted to know what it was like to to watch a a really crazy movie with Fula Borg. uh, You are going to get that experience with this Maximum Overdrive commentary. Yes. Uh, If you are not already a subscriber to the Patreon at the Gunslinger level, which is our $10 a month here, um, be aware that you can go sign up for that now at patreon.com backslash the KingCast. We've got... A bazillion, I think, is the exact number mm. uh, of bonus episodes in there. All of them that you can access right now if you sign up. You're going to get a monthly, uh, mostly monthly. Sometimes it's like five weeks. It depends on the availability of our guests. Uh, commentary track. This one is this month's. And uh, you'll also get, uh, you know, just more of the show. If you're only listening to the main feed episodes, you're only getting half the show. We like to say around here. And it's true. <laughs> so if you'd like to support the show, come on over there, uh, sign up and 
give yourself over to a world of like, I don't fucking know, 150 episodes or something over so, there now. So many that like I, I've forgotten. And when I look back on like <laughs> on the list of stuff we've done, I'm like, oh, yeah, we did that. It's We have so much good stuff over there. We we uh, definitely pride ourselves in making the Patreon uh, worth it and getting a full unique episode every every week. Um, yeah, so I think that about wraps it up. I just wanted to to uh, here at the end of the year holidays give thanks to everybody for for listening and yes, thanks to our patrons for for being there. Thanks to uh, everybody who listens via their podcast app of choice, and uh, I hope all y'all have a happy holiday. Happy holidays, everyone. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. 